you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. We'll look at this morning. Um, I say the same thing every week if you have a Bible with you. Uh, because I know we print the stuff here, and you can read along with that, but that, that's fine. Uh, it's good to be in the habit of bringing your Bible, because then you can kind of see the surrounding context, and uh, you know, not because you look really cool carrying that Bible or whatever, but uh, it's, it's helpful to be able to see, um, and, and in case the text isn't printed, or we didn't print enough of it, or whatever. So it's a good idea, just so you know. Uh, bring your Bible. Um, that's helpful. Okay, so Luke chapter 1. Um, This is the first Sunday in Advent, as we've mentioned, and this season we'll we'll go through some passages from Luke 1 and 2. Only Matthew and Luke have have narratives of the birth of Jesus, and I like these uh, these chapters in Luke um, particularly because uh, growing up, every Christmas Eve, uh, we would go to my family's house, Uh, we'd gather together and we'd, we'd eat dinner. It'd be this big old feast, and then uh, as we're all impatiently waiting to open presents, all of those kids um, just ready to go, uh, my grandfather would read the story of um, Christ's birth from Luke, from these chapters. And I tell you, I'm getting a whole lot more out of it now than I did then um, as an impatient kid waiting to open presents, but um, hopefully it'll be meaningful for all of us. The the series this Advent, which again I, I think I told you last week I just stole from a friend of mine, uh, the series is titled "Songs of Christmas," and the songs that we'll look at, songs, um, they're they're prophetic, they're poetic, they're not necessarily musical songs, but uh, they're utterances made by humans and by angels around the time of Christ's birth. And they even have cool old Latin names because they've been recognized by the church for so long. Uh, you know, and these are the names of them. We'll go through the next few weeks. Ave Maria, uh, the Magnificat, the Benedictus, the Gloria, or Gloria in Excelsis Deo, um, and Nunc Dimittis. So I'll explain what those mean as we go along in the series. But this morning we're going to look at the Ave Maria, which is the angel's, uh, the angel Gabriel's greeting of Mary with good news of God's grace. And the thing that we'll spend some time focusing on this morning is uh, Mary's rather remarkable response to the angel's news and how we can respond like her to the gospel, how we can have open, uh, willing, submissive hearts like Mary um, before God. So let's pray and then we'll read from Luke chapter 1. Jesus, you came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. We pray that you would teach us now as we come to your word uh, what that truly means for us, that you came to save us and to bless us and to deliver the grace of God to us in your life and in your death and in your resurrection. We pray that you would help us now to believe your word and to be changed by it into your likeness. We pray in your name. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I'm at your disposal. Do with me as you will. If you're a Christian, that um, is a pretty simple statement. Uh, But it's, it's a statement of complete surrender, complete loyalty, and it's beautiful, and it's worthy of ad, uh, admiration and imitation. Really, whether you're a Christian or not, there might be a part of all of us that uh, thinks, yeah, that's cool, right? I mean, didn't you ever want to be uh, a butler or a maid or a chauffeur or a valet? You know, um, I always imagined that it would be quite fulfilling and honorable to serve faithfully at the master's beck and call, to just do my job and do it well. Wouldn't it be nice just to let someone else have the pressure of making the difficult decisions and navigating the outside world, and you just take orders and get really good at driving that Rolls? (laughs) Um, Or maybe you've read about uh, P.G. Woodhouse's character, Jeeves, right? Uh, he's the gentleman's personal gentleman. <laughs> and uh, he's brilliant. He does everything with real subtle style. Uh, he's got it all together, and you get the sense that even though he's just the manservant, um, he's really got the best job of all. So I imagine it to be a simple, uh, tidy, controlled, quite respectable life when you say, I am your humble servant. Right? Um, course, that's hardly realistic at all, and it's certainly way off when it comes to Mary's submission to God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, she says. Literally, she's calling herself God's slave. You own me. You own my life. It's yours. Whatever you want is good with me. Now, again, uh, for Christians... That's the kind of pledge of allegiance that we aspire to. Uh, But the life of a Christian servant is not all uh, prim and proper like Jeeves. It's 
in fact, a, a dreadfully frightening thing to say to the living God, I'm all yours. If you're a Christian, you know exactly what I mean. You probably <clears throat> wince when you pray for things like humility, right? Because you know that God answers that prayer by wrecking you. If you're anything like me, um, and I hesitate to pray and ask God to remove idols from my heart because he often does that by taking good things away from us, making us depend more fully on him. Um, if you are so foolish as to write a blank check to God and ask him to grow you in your faith, you better watch out, right? Um, being at the mercy of God as his servant isn't always a rosy prospect. I mean, what do you think was going on in Mary's head as the angel Gabriel first appeared to her? She's probably scared out of her mind, right? In fact, when Gabriel initially greeted her, it says she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Yeah, that's... That's Bible language for she was scared out of her mind. <laughs> um, why was she so scared? He's an angel. I'm sure any angel would be an impressive sight, but this is Gabriel. Six months before this, uh, he had visited old man Zechariah in the temple sanctuary, right, a holy place, to tell Zechariah that he and his old barren wife, Elizabeth, we're going to have a baby, and that baby would be John the Baptist. And when Zechariah was understandably skeptical, said, I'm old, my wife is old, we haven't been able to have children, how is this going to happen? How am I going to know this is for real? He asked for proof. Gabriel just said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I came to bring you good news. And then he dropped the curse of silence on that fool. <laughs> right? Uh, Gabriel stands in the presence of God. If you know your Old Testament, you know Isaiah chapter 6, even the seraphim, the burning ones, uh, don't stand in God's presence. They fly. And they cover their faces because they can't look on God. He's so holy. And they cover their feet. They can't stand in God's presence because God is too holy. But Gabriel stands in God's presence. I don't even know what that means. Maybe he's some kind of ultra angel, right? Like Archangel Michael, who contended with the devil himself. Gabriel is a highly privileged being who is God's personal messenger. And he strikes fear in the hearts of even the holy prophets. If you know, the first time he shows up by name in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Daniel, about 600 years before this encounter with Mary, the prophet Daniel, uh, Daniel had this crazy vision of a ram and a goat and big horns and little horns. Um, he didn't know what it meant. Daniel chapter 8, he wrote this, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice from the middle of the river 
and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. This is the guy who was thrown into the lion's den and came out all right. Fell on his face because he was frightened. But Gabriel said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Passed out cold. But he touched me and made me stand up. And Gabriel described the vision, what it meant. It says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. It's a deeply disturbing thing to encounter an angel like, like Gabriel. He's no Disney angel. And here uh, is Mary in Podunk, Nazareth, where nothing like this ever happens. In fact, no angels have appeared at all to anyone anywhere for several hundred years. This is very strange. And um, do you know how old Mary probably was? Uh, apparently she was somewhere between 12 and 16 years old. And that's extrapolated from the fact that she was betrothed to Joseph, but not yet married, and still a virgin. Uh, commentator Walter Liefeld says, Since betrothal often took place soon after pu- puberty, Mary may have just entered her teens. So saying that she was greatly troubled is um, probably sort of an understatement. She probably wasn't trying to contain screams like, I just saw Justin Bieber or something, you know. Um, She was probably really trying not to scream and call for mommy, (laughs) you know. Even though everything the angel told her was actually very sweet. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. What, what is happening here? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You're going to have a baby. What? <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What? How will this be since I'm a virgin? I'm not even married. I'm just a girl. I've never been with a man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And at this point, she probably thought, okay, I'm just going to stop asking questions. <laughs> this, this is great. Um, and behold, your, Elizabeth, your, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. I guess not. Uh, you know, for us, it's probably a little easier to reflect on the angel's words. Uh, to reflect clearly, anyway. Alert! <laughs> that was interesting. <clears throat> That's all right. <clears throat> um, 
it is, it's probably easier for us to, to pause and give reflection, right? It's, it's, it's just words on a page for us. Uh, I mean, it's one of the most incredible announcements that's ever been made, and there's some fascinating theology contained in these words. But somewhere along the line, Mary's thoughts probably went something like this. I'm barely able to have children myself. I'm still a child myself. Once Joseph finds out that I'm pregnant, he's going to dump me. Who's going to take care of me then? I'll be a single mother for sure. And even worse, when the, the town finds out, they're, they're not going to believe a kid like me about the whole angel thing. Uh, at best, I'll lose my reputation. At worst, they'll take me out of the, the city and they'll stone me for adultery. Maybe if the angel sticks around and explains everything to them, but the angel turns around and leaves. Right? He doesn't stick around. This probably didn't sound much like she was being favored by God. Being the servant of the Lord was going to be very difficult for her. God's wonderful plan for her life um, was probably pretty hard to accept. In fact, Mary's reputation did suffer. You see that in the Gospels. Jesus' reputation suffered, right? His enemies taunted him uh, with thinly veiled (laughs) accusations of being illegitimate. Right? And implicit in that is your mom is morally loose. Um, and Mary's reputation still suffers when, when people can't bring themselves to believe in miracles like the virgin birth of Jesus. Uh, people still don't believe Mary's story about how she got pregnant. So yes, being the, the Lord's servant... Um, It doesn't guarantee you the well-ordered, easy, calm, respectable existence that you wished for. In fact, it can mean your whole world is turned upside down, that there's constant friction between you and the rest of the world, that your values and your actions are mocked as unrighteous by those who don't know God, You can understand how difficult that can be. So how did Mary get to verse 38? It's almost unbelievable. How on earth could this young girl in this position open her heart to the Lord? How could she willingly submit her whole life to God when this was what God was doing in her life, sending that angel in like a wrecking ball? Let me assure you, it's not because she was super spiritual. There's nothing in the Bible, there's absolutely nothing in this text that leads us to believe that she was immaculate. That that, That she was somehow without guilt or stain of sin. And it's actually, uh, it's tragic that Ave Maria, 
Hail Mary, greetings. From this passage has become a prayer to Mary. It's a way to petition her to mediate between us and God. Pray for us sinners, because you're better than us. It's tragic because it takes away this great example of faith from us. She was just a girl. She was a regular person like you and me. So how could she say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word when his word meant some pretty difficult things for her life. That's right there in the angel's words to her. It's the gospel of grace. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. Gabriel calls her favored one, which is literally uh, one to whom grace has been given. She doesn't have some kind of gracious substance in and of herself. God has been gracious to her. God has shown favor to her. And the only other time this particular word is used in the New Testament, it's used in Ephesians 1, verse 6, where it clearly refers to free grace given to us that we do not deserve. And Gabriel says in verse 30 that she has found favor, literally grace. With God. The angel proclaims and he commends God's grace to Mary. She is a recipient of God's grace. So it's not Hail Mary full of grace, it's Hail Mary, rejoice, Mary, one who has received grace. And that grace is what she clings to and holds on to for dear life. Even though the form that that grace takes, it topples her entire world, right? And the form that God's grace took really did topple the entire world. The whole world was turned upside down. The eternal Son of God was conceived as a human by the Holy Spirit in a virgin's womb. He had existed forever. As God, he had made all things. And he permitted himself to be conceived, smaller than the human eye can see, and born into the world that he made. And he didn't stop being God. He just added humanity to himself. Two natures, true divinity and true humanity together in one person. The Son of the Most High, the Holy Child, the Son of God. And he was adopted by an earthly father. That's what it means when Joseph uh, named him. He was claiming him as his own. He was adopting him into David's royal family, which is where Joseph stands. He's a descendant of David He would be the one long promised to sit on David's royal throne. He would rule over the people of God in a kingdom that would not end. And his name would be Jesus. 
which means that Yahweh saves, God saves. And Matthew points out that he was named that because he would save his people from their sins. God sent Gabriel to greet Mary with his grace, to tell her that he was sending his glorious son into the world to save it, to rule over it forever, and that he was being sent by way of her birth canal. This is not your everyday experience. This is the most marvelous thing that has ever happened. Donald McLeod says this, the, the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas, and none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us that all that follows belongs to the same order as itself. Gabriel's news for Mary was mind-shattering. And it was good news. It was good news for Mary, and it's good news for you. Because the only hope that you have of being right with God is that he interrupts the regularly scheduled programming of this fallen world um, in the course of self-destruction to set things right of his own initiative. And that is exactly what he did about 2,000 years ago. The incarnation, God coming in the flesh in the person of his son, was the beginning of a new creation. It was a new beginning of all things. The start of the new creation, one more act of the creator entering into the world from the outside to make all things new. Of his own initiative, in his full, free, sovereign mercy, God sent his son to live as the perfect human, as humans ought to be, and to die in the place of sinful, guilty humans under the wrath of God as we ought to die, even though he didn't deserve it. And the virgin birth was the beginning of his life as our Redeemer, when God took upon himself humanity in order to save it. Donald McLeod again, the race needs a redeemer, but cannot itself produce one. The redeemer must come from outside. Christ is new. He is from outside. Our race was without hope. Redemption was, humanly speaking, impossible. Impossible like an old barren woman getting pregnant, impossible. Impossible like a virgin having a child, impossible. We cannot produce life for ourselves. We cannot produce saving eternal life for ourselves. But the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. The virgin birth lets you believe that. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ lets you believe that. Nothing will be impossible with God. Even if you don't understand everything about how God is being gracious to you in your life, when it looks like things are collapsing because you are serving him, 
You can trust him beyond your ability to reason it out. Look at everything he's done for you. Look at everything he's done for the whole world. It is perfectly safe to open your heart to God, to submit yourself to him as his servant, even if that means you you lose your reputation, you lose your worldly comforts in doing so. He may not run your life quite the way that you think it should be done, and you may be completely stumped at times how this can be for your good. But he is not going to let you down. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. He loves you. And the proof of it is that he gave his son Jesus for you. So believe the gospel and give your life to him. Let's pray. Father, we are truly humbled by your love. We marvel at your grace to us. It, um, it does shatter our minds. It explodes our whole world. And at the same time, it devastates and lifts up our hearts. This gospel of the Son of God incarnate as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We thank you that you've loved us with a great love, that you have redeemed us from our sins, that you've called us into your kingdom, that you've called us your sons and daughters because of Jesus and because of what he's done for us. And we submit through him our lives to you, hoping with a sure hope that whatever it is you're doing in our lives uh, is for our good and for your glory And those two things are not mutually exclusive. Those two things go hand in hand. So we trust you, and we believe in you, and we say we are your servants. Have your way in us. Do with us according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.